Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the CGI Third Quarter Fiscal 2020 Conference Call. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Lauren Gorber, Executive Vice President, Investor and Public Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. Gorber. Thank you, Sharon, and good morning. With me to discuss CGI's Third Quarter Fiscal 2020 results are George Schindler, our President and CEO, and Francois Boulanger, Executive Vice President and CFO. This call is being broadcast on CGI.com and recorded live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, July 29, 2020. Supplemental slides as well as the press release we issued earlier this morning are available for download along with our Q3 MD&A financial statements and accompanying notes, all of which have been filed with both CDAR and EDGAR. Please note that some statements made on the call may be forward-looking. Actual events or results may differ materially from those expressed or implied and CGI disclaims any intent or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. The complete safe harbor statement is available in both our MDNA and press release, as well as on CGI.com. We encourage our investors to read it in its entirety. We are reporting our financial results in accordance with International Financial Reporting Standards, or IFRS. As always, we will also discuss non-GAAP performance measures, which should be viewed as supplemental. The MDNA contains definitions of each one used in our reporting. All of the dollar figures expressed on this call are Canadian, unless otherwise noted. So with that, I'll turn the line over to Francois to discuss the quarter. Thank you, Lauren, and good morning, everyone. I am pleased to share our results for the third quarter. Revenue came in at $3.1 billion dollars, down 2.2% when compared to last year and representing a constant currency decline of 3.5% year-over-year. IP remains stable both sequentially and year-over-year at 21% of revenue. We had a near-term headwind from transaction volumes from certain SaaS-based IP engagements due to the pandemic impact. For example, travel restrictions reduced U.S. visa volumes and increased unemployment had a negative effect on payroll volumes. However, new IP revenue was added to the portfolio from the recent acquisitions of Sunflower, Sysis, and Mitzi, which offset these temporary transaction declines. While the impact of the pandemic was felt broadly across our operations in the quarter, we initiated the necessary actions to minimize the bottom line impact to position CGI for future profitable growth. As such, we expect a gradual improvement in the months and quarters ahead. Despite widespread economic pressures around the world during the quarter, we were able to close $2.8 billion in new contracts for a book-to-bill of 93%, higher than last quarter, a proof point regarding the strength of our existing client relationships and our ability to win business throughout the crisis. As client executives and CGI consultants continue to slowly and safely return to an adapted workplace, 
we believe the opportunity for increased collaboration with current and prospective clients will accelerate our book to bill going forward. Over the last 12 months, we booked $11.8 billion in new contracts or 97% of revenue. Our global backlog remains healthy at $22.3 billion or 1.8 times revenue, the vast majority of which are long-term managed services engagements. Adjusted EBIT decreased in Q3 to $448 million for an EBIT margin of 14.7%, down 50 basis points compared to the same period last year. The decrease was largely due to non-recurring expenses taken in Q3. For example, we took a $10 million impairment charge related to specific IP solutions for both oil and gas and infrastructure. Offsetting this headwind, Canada, the UK, and Asia-Pacific continue to post higher margins year over year. Our effective tax rate in Q3 was 27% or 26.1% when excluding non-deductible restructuring expenses. This compares with 25.9% last year and remains within our expected range for the full year. Integration costs related mainly to recent acquisitions totaled $20 million in Q3, and we also incurred restructuring expenses of $39.5 million in a quarter, initiating the actions in response to the pandemic we outlined in Q2. At that time, we announced an expected range of 2 to 5% of our professionals to be on temporary layoff status until there was more clarity on the evolving crisis. With an additional quarter behind us and more clarity on the business impacts and our recovery prospects, we now expect to permanently restructure approximately 2% of our consultants and professionals. We initiated these actions in Q3 and expect to complete the majority of them in Q4 for a total cost now of up to $115 million. This amount is higher than previously communicated due to the fact that the majority of permanent actions would be concentrated in European geographies with drive higher restructuring costs. We do not expect additional restructuring related to the pandemic at this time. Excluding these costs, net earnings were solid at $308.4 million for a margin of 10.1% and EPS of $1.18. Cash provided by operating activities was robust at $584.8 million, or 19.2% of revenue, representing an increase of $209.6 million compared with Q3 last year. This improvement was dri driven by a lower DSO of 48 days compared to 52 days in the same period last year, indicating better collections. Government programs allowing for temporary tax payment deferrals and the positive impact resulting from the adoption of IFRS 16. Over the last 12 months, $1.9 billion in cash has been generated by operating activities, or 15.2% of revenue. In the quarter, we invested $79 million into our business, largely in IP and managed services engagements. As planned, we did not complete any share buybacks in Q3. Looking ahead, for now, the priority will remain the same, which is to focus on investments and growth for our business and including the acceleration of both 
metro market, and transformational acquisition opportunities. Net debt to capitalization decreased sequentially due to strong cash generation from 34.8% in Q2 to 28% at the end of June and remains within our comfort zone. With cash of $1.4 billion on hand and a $1.5 billion revolver that remains fully accessible, we now have more than $2.9 billion readily available to pursue profitable growth, including over 1,000 potential merger targets in various stages of our pipeline, with more than 20 discussions ongoing. Now I'll turn the call over to George to provide more details on the operations, our strategy, and on the outlook for our business and markets. George? Thank you, Francois, and good morning. The global pandemic has brought forward a unique set of conditions requiring resolve and agility in order to take action now while continuing to prepare for the future. I am proud of our consultants and professionals who have remained dedicated to delivering mission-critical technology and business process services for clients around the world. During the quarter, relationships with our clients and professionals deepened, reaching new highs in terms of satisfaction and engagement. These relationships continue to strengthen our positioning and remain key to CGI's ability to exit this crisis even stronger than we are today. Our operational rigor and discipline again enabled us to deliver a solid quarter, which underscores the key elements of CGI's resilience that I spoke about on the last call. It is this combination of diversified industry portfolio, end-to-end services mix, and proximity-based model that enabled us to mitigate the full impact of the business and industry disruptions created by the pandemic. As Francois just detailed, we converted several of the temporary crisis response measures we took last quarter into permanent restructuring actions. This drove a year-over-year decrease in non-billable headcount and SG&A costs. Although this restructuring unfortunately also affects some billable consultants, we accelerated virtual boot camps and online learning, utilizing CGI Academia, our global learning and development platform. This enabled us to reassign a large number of our professionals across various project opportunities and minimize the extent of the restructuring actions. In addition, the executive compensation reductions that I mentioned last quarter remained in effect throughout Q3. All these actions continue to enable margin improvement opportunities now and in the future. And most importantly, the investments in our talent position us to continue to address the future growth opportunities as we execute on our build strategy. Continuing a trend we have seen over the past few quarters, our mix of services is shifting towards longer-term recurring revenue. In Q3, the percentage of managed services revenue is up again over the last quarter to 54%. On a year-over-year basis, it represented a 500-point basis point increase. In fact, managed services opportunities now make up over 60% of our pipeline, and we continue to see strong interest for IP, with demand up 8% over this time last year. Many of our clients are currently reprioritizing their business and technology initiatives given the crisis, and also reassessing the partners they will turn to for help now and in the future. Our bookings in the quarter demonstrate our positioning as a partner of choice with our clients. In the quarter, we sustained and grew CGI's share with existing enterprise clients with a 96% renewal rate. Across all bookings, 
65% of awards were for new projects. These included a large cybersecurity consulting agreement with the UK government, a multi-year consulting engagement to help modernize Danish customs operations, instant payment consulting projects with one of Europe's largest banks, and the modernization of utility asset management for one of the largest utilities in North America, leveraging CGI's unique IP business solution. As one of the few firms with the scale, reach, capabilities, and commitment to be our client's global partner of choice, we are well positioned to continue delivering insights and solutions our clients can act on. With this backdrop, let's turn to the Q3 regional performance highlights. I'll start in North America. In the U.S., our revenue, margin, and bookings growth reflect the strength of our recurring revenue base and intellectual property across industry sectors as we expanded our share of IT spending with existing clients. We continue to see a strong pipeline of opportunities as the industry rebound and reinvention phases begin to take shape. And in Canada, our strong recurring revenue base enabled us to protect the bottom line. The revenue decline and lower bookings were primarily due to the immediate effect of the pandemic, particularly in the oil and gas and manufacturing sectors. We see growing demand across North America for a more transformational approach to managed services to help clients gain immediate cost savings while improving agility to support their evolving business objectives. Moving now to UK and Australia, the strong results this quarter were again driven by our leadership position in the public sector where we renewed and expanded existing engagements, notably in the space and defense markets. And now moving on to the rest of Europe. Across the Western Southern Europe and Central Eastern Europe segments, our revenue margin experienced a high level of disruption from the pandemic. This is due to our mix of commercial business in these geographies, which is largely in the manufacturing, transportation, and retail industries. In the quarter, we initiated proactive actions to reduce SG&A and are in discussions with the work councils on these plans. We expect these measures to drive margin improvements across the geographies over the next few quarters. Across our Northern Europe segments, our manufacturing, transportation, and financial services clients experienced high levels of disruption from the pandemic. This resulted in significant softness in demand for higher-end consulting and advisory services, which are a larger share of our mix in this region. In response, we continued our initiatives to restructure our business consulting and infrastructure services businesses to reflect the current demand. Our healthy bookings in this region were driven by our focus on managed services, including IP, particularly in the government and utilities industries. While the pandemic has temporarily affected overall market conditions across Europe, we see emerging demand for our services as clients across industries reassess their operations for a post-pandemic environment. And finally, in Asia-Pacific, revenue growth was strong as we continued to leverage global delivery centers of excellence in our new managed services engagements. Across this region, we continue to see high levels of productivity through automation. The performance in each of our operating geographies reflects regional differences in client and industry impact resulting from the pandemic. Our collective focus, however, is a commitment to meeting our clients' needs, rigorous management of our indirect costs, and investment in our consultants as we prepare for the future, a future that is already prompting our clients to increase the importance of technology in their own go-forward plans. Over the past few years, we saw technology transition 
from helping drive business transformation to now being core to how clients create value for their customers and citizens. Over a span of just the past few months, the organization's urgent responses to the pandemic became a catalyst for advancing components of clients' digital strategies. Going forward, clients will need help to transition these quick response digitization efforts into meaningful and sustainable outcomes. We see this happening in three ways that will be drivers of future growth for CGI. First, partnering with clients to enable their business agility through a range of business and digital initiatives focused on human capital and culture practices, process automation, and data analytics. Second, enabling the future workforce and workplace by helping clients quickly adapt how their organizations operate and collaborate with people and technology at the center of these changes. And lastly, in addition to physical supply change, the pandemic disrupted technology supply chain, which is reinforcing clients' ongoing efforts to have fewer IT partners. This vendor consolidation is now being driven by a combination of factors, including the desire to mitigate risk across their global operations, gain efficiencies of scale, and achieve greater elasticity in their IT solutions, including through the cloud. These three represent longer-term shifts that will require sustained, trusted partnerships with enterprise firms like CGI. We are well positioned with our end-to-end -end services and solutions to deliver immediate cost savings through our managed services, accelerate digitization through our IP solutions, and help clients drive revenue growth through our consulting and systems integration services. We also remain committed to accelerating profitable growth through our buy strategy. Our financial capacity, strategic inclination, and operational readiness for both transformational as well as metro market mergers is very high. With further industry consolidation expected post-crisis, we continue to actively assess a growing pipeline of potential merger opportunities, a pipeline that is growing in both number of targets and the size of those targets. As always, investments in our buy strategy will follow our discipline approach as we look for the right company at the right time and for the right price. We are confident that we will emerge post-crisis in an even stronger position to continue to execute on our build and buy strategy. Our strategic aspiration remains to double the size of the company over the next five to seven years for the benefit of our members, clients, and you, our shareholders. Thank you for your interest and support. Let's go to the questions now, Lauren. Just a, just a reminder that there will be a replay of the call available either via our website or by dialing 855-859-2056 and using the passcode 1495772 until August 27th. And as usual, a podcast will be available for download, and any follow-up questions can be directed to me at 514-841-3355. Sharon, if we could uh, pull for questions. If you'd like to ask a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. First question comes from Thanos Mosopoulos with DMI. Please go ahead. Morning. Uh, George, can you comment on what return to work is looking like for CGI? Uh, in some of the economies that have started to reopen, have some of your employees been returning to client sites? Uh, and are you seeing productivity improvements as a result? And, and to what extent have you been able to leverage your local presence competitively as things are reopening? Yeah. No, thanks for the question, Lauren uh, or uh, Thanos. <laughs> uh, we do plan to, to return to the office. 
when it's safe and as it's safe. And, and that's important because proximity does drive client intimacy, and that client intimacy is needed to, to have the trust for those larger managed services and uh, IP engagements. So it's all, it's all tied together, and we are seeing that. So we're up to about uh, 15% of our global workforce in, um, in, uh, in the offices, either our office or a client site, and that ranges everything from 1% in our India Global Operations uh, Center of Excellence to uh, France, which is nearing 50%, uh, almost half of our, uh, of our members in France are back either at the client site or at, uh, at the office. And we are prioritizing to, uh, in two areas. One, work that needs to be done on site. Typically, that's for various security and privacy reasons and prioritizing business development individuals because uh, that collaboration, that in-person collaboration is critical, um, not as much for the existing clients, but in order to gain prospective clients. So, of course, we're practicing all the, uh, the safety precautions, and it is very different. It, uh, like I said, it ranges um, differences in different uh, locations, and we see that actually being more granular as we move forward, that, uh, that it's really uh, the pockets um, uh, of hotspots will happen locally and, uh, and we'll react the same way we did uh, during the global shutdowns. Great. Um, and um, APAC was obviously quite strong. Um, is there revenue growth being driven disproportionately by customers in one or two specific regions, or is the demand you're seeing uh, more broad-based across regions? And also, is there a dynamic where, you know, you're seeing more managed services work and perhaps some of that lends itself more to, to APAC and is that contributing to the growth as well? Yeah. So managed services is definitely the driver of, uh, of some of this uh, uptick in work in Asia-Pacific. Right now, uh, the demand is, uh, or, or what you're seeing, is, uh, is driven mainly by North America, a lot in the U.S. and in the U.K., and that's not surprising because those are, uh, those are the units that are, that are least impacted by the pandemic. But when you look at managed services, we have an active pipeline across every single region, and, uh, and, and we've seen demand being uh, quite strong. It's not so much demand varies by, uh, by geography. Demand for managed services is varying a bit more by, uh, by industry. Uh, those industries that are most impacted by the pandemic, hospitality, transportation services, some of the retailers, um, they're, they're, having, uh, uh, they're much more open to having the discussions about a broader managed service agreement because they need the savings now. Uh, others, uh, we see uh, various industries are looking more at, um, at both savings and reinvesting those savings. And those are some of the banks, some of the leading banks are looking at, uh, yeah, I need to have some savings. I've got to prepare for some potential loan losses. I need to get my expense ratio down. But technology drives my business. And so I'm going to reinvest a set of those savings on, on, uh, on new opportunities. So there's multiple flavors now of the managed services opportunity. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but we're seeing uh, demand pretty broad across uh, each of the geographies and, and quite frankly, uh, each of the industries, but different flavors in those industries. Great. Thanks, George. I'll pass the line. Yep. Thanks, Travis. Next question comes from Mayor Yagi with Desjardins. Thank you for taking my question. I wanted to ask you, uh, the first thing I wanted to, is to dig into your backlog performance uh, 
you know, when you look at the third quarter, you pre you know had a pretty good uh, good bookings uh, given the circumstances with the pandemic, etc. But when you look at the trailing 12 months, book to bill continues to be below one. So, George, I wanted to ask you maybe. It's hard for us here on outside trying to figure out if this is an overall industry dynamic or competitive dynamic versus peers that is affecting negatively your trailing 12 months book to bill. Would you be able maybe to share with us some of your win rates and how those have performed over the last year or so before and after the pandemic? And second, I wanted to ask you about the restructuring that you announced today. Um, it seems like you have more visibility on your operation to have finalized these plans versus what you have discussed last quarter. Could you maybe talk about some of the efficiency improvements that you could see from those restructurings and what's driving them directly? What's behind those restructuring? What are you doing, basically? Thank you. Yep. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's two pretty, uh, pretty broad questions. I'll take the first one on the... Uh, on the uh, bookings and the backlog, and uh, and you do uh, point out that uh, that the bookings were uh, relatively strong in this quarter. I want to I want to start there. Um, actually, uh, stronger than than even uh, they look. They're uh, higher, obviously, than last quarter, despite the full pandemic. And that's why I highlighted the 96% renewal rate. And that's across any business. That's not not just managed services. That's managed services deals, IP deals systems integration, even consulting deals, uh, pretty broad-based uh, win rate. And, uh, and when you dive into the, the data, that's not on the strength of, uh, of government. Um, even though government has actually grown, uh, solid growth across every single uh, geography that we operate in, and as you know, uh, government actually uh, grew to uh, 38% or 36% of, uh, of our business in revenue, um, government continues to be strong, but they're buying a bit differently. They're buying more in systems integration and consulting. Actually, we had a higher bookings in systems integration and consulting this quarter than previous quarters, despite the fact that revenue is being driven more and more by managed services. So I think it's just a, a point in time where uh, governments had to do more quick responses. It's driving growth in our business, but it's not driving growth in our bookings, so bookings actually for um, for government was less than the 93 percent. It was in the 80s. So uh, the commercial is really driving that. As government returns to more normal operations, there's uh, uh, active procurements involved in governments around the world, and and um, and I would I would uh, maybe point to the UK, which had a softer booking yet had growth for overall for the quarter and projecting to continue that trend. So, um, so that's that's what that's what's in the in the bookings now. When you look at the the previous 12 months, so it's not really a competitive dynamic. If anything, uh, what we are talking about in our strategic plan for next year is really uh, a blitz on bringing our value proposition to more of our clients across each of our geographies. We actually already initiated that. Uh, we're not waiting for the uh, the new fiscal year to do that. That's driving those pipeline increases that I talked about and ultimately will return our book-to-bill to a healthy over 100% uh, on, a, on, a, on a quarterly basis and then, of course, on a, on a trailing 12-month. The trailing 12-month will lag a little bit, but, uh, but we'll get there uh, very quickly. So that's, that's what's going on in the, uh, in the bookings and the backlog environment. Uh, so hopefully that gives you a little more uh, color commentary to where we're, where we're heading. 
on the uh, on the restructuring, yes, uh, we we uh, there's two two uh, kind of big areas of the restructuring. One is obviously uh, does impact our billable members. It's to make sure that uh, our uh, business is uh, reflective of the demand. Uh, we've talked about this on calls before, but just to remind you, we're very rigorous. We run the business by very uh, very strict and rigorous metrics about what the uh, the SGNA should be, and so we we pull the SGNA back in line with where the strength of the business is in different geographies, and that's not widespread. Um, it's, it goes across geographies, but uh, obviously some geographies aren't doing much of any uh, restructuring at this time. In fact, are, are hiring and growing their businesses. Um, so it, it really uh, it, it does vary. But uh, but when we talk about the SGNA, we're always looking at this. And so as we take the uh, take the uh, the changes on the billable members, we're also taking a harder look at our SGNA, uh, not from a ratio perspective, but where that SGNA resides. And so we're moving some of that SGA uh, as the business continues to evolve, and uh, and particularly based on the demand equation, we're moving some of that SGNA to lower cost centers uh, from the uh, from the center. That's going to result in sustainable savings on the SGNA, uh, regardless of the of the growth curve and the recovery uh, pace. So that maybe gives you a little more uh, color into the uh, into the situation. And certainly, that's a tailwind. Um, that element of the SGNA restructuring is a tailwind to our margins going forward. Thank you. And how fast uh, should we expect those uh, restructurings to pass through your P&L? Yeah, I think uh, you, you should see that uh, as early as uh, not all of it at a run rate basis, but uh, you should start seeing that uh, at the beginning of the fiscal year 21. Okay, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Next question comes from Stephen Lee with Raymond James. Um, uh, thank you. Uh, George, uh, in your prepared remarks, uh, expecting gradual improvements uh, through the rest of the year, uh, would this apply to your organic growth as well in the sense uh, uh, we have seen it bottom this quarter? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a great question. Although um, you know, the pace of the recoveries is still somewhat uncertain, as uh, I'm sure you read the, the same news and, uh, and see the same things I see, but, uh, but there are many positive signs that provide that optimism that, uh, that we put in the prepared remarks. Uh, the solid bookings above last quarter, which I already talked about, but the growing pipeline uh, that's pretty broad uh, across geographies, but also across our services for managed services, intellectual property, but also for systems integration and consulting. Uh, we see that, uh, that going up. Continued strength in the public sector procurements, as I mentioned, um, the solid growth in, in the quarter across each of the geographies, we see that continuing, so that will be a tailwind. And then a return to normalcy in the discussions around new initiatives with our clients, particularly in advancing their digital strategies, particularly around the areas I talked about, the enabling business agility uh, and digitization for their workplace and, uh, and the ecosystem. So uh, these, are, these are all positive signs. Um, although always uh, these take some time, particularly for the managed services, uh, depending on the transition complexity, to go from uh, a booking uh, into recognized revenue. But there's lots of positive signs for growth in the uh, in the uh, in the next year. Um, so it won't all happen at once, but uh, there's there's uh, positive signs there. Oh, okay, that's great. And and I have a question on Scandinavia. 
the non-renewal um, infra uh, infrastructure in Sweden, what's the magnitude of that? Uh, would it represent half of the year-over-year -year decline, and is it all a condo? Uh, well, no. On the infrastructure, it would not be a condo. A condo was mainly business consulting, which is a soft, temporarily point in time, but in fact is absolutely necessary for the uh, rebound and the uh, the reinvention phases that we'll be moving into. So, uh, so no, but no, it would not be driven from that. Infrastructure is really our traditional business in Sweden, as you know. We've been taking a, a very rigorous look at that, and uh, it, it, we're not looking at renewing uh, projects that uh, is a race to the bottom. Uh, the margin is uh, is important to us, and uh, and so we're we're not uh, we're not in that uh, in that game. And uh, of course, we do that in a respectful way, but uh, we bid deals to uh, to to be good for all of our three stakeholders, not just one or two of our stakeholders. So um, so that's really what's going on there. I don't have it quantified. I'm sure we can get that for you. I just don't have that in front of me right now. All right, very helpful. Thank you. Okay. Come back to you. Next question comes from Ramsey LSL with Barclays. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, this is actually Ben on for Ramsey. Uh, thanks so much for uh, taking my question. Um, I wanted to ask one uh, first for George, kind of um, along the kind of topic of organic growth we were just talking about. Uh, you, made, you mentioned in your prepared remarks that you're starting to see a return to longer-term recurring revenue uh, contracts. And it seemed, you know, it's a couple quarters ago, it seemed like that was almost uh, the reverse. It seemed like um, longer-term, you know, deals were being kind of broken up, and this was sort of signaling a, a step down in organic growth. Is this sort of a, a reversal of that, um, or more just a kind of a, a near-term step up? Um, maybe if you could give some color around that, that'd be helpful. Yep. Yeah. So um, what I mentioned at that time is that we saw the the, the uncertainty driving a temporary pause in uh, in kind of those those larger deals. Um, if anything, the, uh, the, the certainty of the uncertainty has driven a reversal. So, yes, it is a reversal. Uh, it was not, uh, it's not the, the uh, reversal I expected. Um, I don't think anybody predicted exactly the extent of the global pandemic. But, uh, but the result is exactly what we thought would happen, is once you've got some certainty or, in this case, uh, a knowledge that uh, we're going to be in a, in, a, in a maybe slower growth market, from a GDP perspective, that drives those recurring revenue, uh, larger deals, uh, gives uh, clients the, the uh, impetus to do that. And of course, that's a tailwind to, to CGI's growth um, in the face of uh, maybe a slowing uh, overall growth environment. Okay, uh, very helpful. Um, okay. If I could ask one more, just kind of on the, the M&A strategy and regarding capital deployment, um, I guess in, in two parts, maybe on the, on the one side, a few quarters ago, you talked about, you know, being at scale in maybe a quarter of your metro markets. And so thinking about that strategy, are you, would you say you're more likely to kind of achieve greater scale within the markets you're in or being entering more geared toward entering new geographies? Um, and then on the other side of that, you mentioned kind of that buybacks are not the priority right now, but maybe what would, um, what would sort of change that thinking um, that would make you more interested in repurchasing your own shares? Yep. So um, for, first on the, uh, on the M&A strategy, it is about going deeper and broader in the markets we're in. So the uh, example is if we're in the United States, that's a market. But, of course, within the United States, we're more concentrated maybe in the northeast or the, uh, or the southeast, but aren't as big as we could be in parts of the southwest, the west, and, quite frankly, even the, uh, the Midwest. So these are opportunities for us to grow in new markets, new metro markets, 
but not new geographies, so they're still comfortable. We're not entering a brand new uh, regulatory regime. So that's that's an example. We're doing the same thing, UK, Germany, et cetera. So that's the, uh, that's the overall uh, strategy. As far as capital deployment, uh, really the focus right now, and it's really because the opportunity right now is for us to uh, – is us to play into the, the growth opportunities. On the managed services, we want to uh, deploy capital into the, uh, the transitions, maybe some asset purchases where it's necessary, and, uh, and other uh, incentives to, to do those longer-term deals. And, uh, and so that's the use of our, our capital. Intellectual property, as I mentioned, big opportunity, so we're doubling down on some of the investments in intellectual property. And then the M&A opportunity, we believe, will um, will be uh, very ripe for the future, and we want to be prepared for that. So that's really the, the, the reason for the, for the strategy. Uh, I think for the foreseeable future, as long as we see that opportunity, we wouldn't change the strategy. And I'll just remind you, um, and maybe, Francois, you can go through kind of the, the priorities and the use of cash. We're not really changing the priorities. We're just being uh, more, uh, more focused on where the opportunity is right now. So maybe Francois, you can do that. Uh, uh, exactly. So, so uh, George did alluded, uh, you know, uh, investing back in the business and, and the opportunity, and we're seeing a lot of opportunity on the uh, on the uh, buy side. Uh, and and again, we did took uh, some debt uh, lately uh, just to be uh, uh, ready uh, to action on these uh, on these uh, potential. Uh, but we will need to relook also what do we do with our our, uh, our debt in, in the near future, uh, and so uh, that's why for now we are concentrating on the on the internal and on the inorganic side. And uh, if uh, naturally after we'll we'll look at see what the, do we do with our long term debt, and uh, and when we'll be able to come back to, and doing some share buyback. Yeah, and maybe I'd just uh, add, Francois, that uh, we do still have a tailwind from buybacks that we've done in previous oh, yeah. quarters. So that we is, still, We did half of the program already uh, this year, so we did bought, uh, buy the, um, more than 10 million shares, uh, where our maximum was uh, 20 point something million shares uh, in the year. So already uh, we, we did... Uh, we did half of it in six months, mostly in six months. So uh, it's it's pretty uh, pretty good uh, until now. Uh, all right, that was great. Thank you so much for taking my questions. Thanks, Ben. Next question comes from Richard C. with National Bank Financial. Uh, hi, this is uh, here calling in for Richard. Hi there. Um, so, just had uh, one question and a follow-up. So, wondering if you could talk about some uh, some of the trends you've seen in July with the restrictions listing. Sorry, I didn't catch that. It was uh, it was a little uh, muffled uh, with the in yeah, July. Just, what? Yeah, if you could just talk about the trends in July, um, like with the restrictions listing, somewhat globally. So, wondering if you could talk about like what you're seeing in July. Okay, just in in July as a month. Well, I would say we're we're exiting, uh, and I mentioned this uh, maybe a little bit earlier, but uh, as we move through the quarter, we are seeing a return to more normalcy in the uh, the discussions around the new initiatives. So what we saw is most of our clients in the immediate uh, aftermath of the uh, pandemic, once they did the the immediate response things, the move remote and stabilize the business, they went into a bit of a uh, of a reprioritization phase 
on uh, on where their initiatives, where their spends would be. Um, and as we move through the quarter, um, I wouldn't say it's normal, but uh, more uh, normalcy in those discussions about actual new initiatives, uh, their digital strategies, their future, uh, their their future business plans. And so we're having much more of those discussions. I'm having those discussions personally with uh, with CXOs around the uh, around the globe, and uh, that's a common theme that I hear. Whereas maybe the discussions I was having on the, uh, in, in April and the last time we got together, it was more all around the response. Now it's really all around uh, what they're going to do to uh, to further their business, uh, given the, the 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 landscape that we're in. So uh, again, I think that's a, a positive for investments in IT, uh, albeit maybe a little bit different than uh, than it would have been uh, even uh, six months ago. Okay, thank you for that. And uh, just one more. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about uh, what solutions and services you're seeing the most connected. Uh, services and solutions most affected. So um, the, the biggest uh, impact from a uh, initial positive was actually infrastructure because there there was a, a need to uh, to increase some of the infrastructure. That was kind of a, a temporary up. Uh, we also saw the the most impacted on the uh, on the downside was the uh, the consulting activities again. We believe that's temporary. That's just a that's a quick response. Let me just stop everything or delay everything, pause everything until I make uh, a different decision. So those are the most impacted on the two ends of the spectrum. Uh, in a longer-term period, the, the ones that we think are going to be most uh, impacted by this are going to be the, the, the desire and the need short-term for more managed services and more intellectual property, intellectual property to, uh, to accelerate uh, the digitization efforts. And even things, in, you know, if you think of IP, even areas where um, where the volumes are up significantly. So uh, a number of our uh, intellectual property in uh, in the financial services space is around loans and collections, and obviously that's an area that's going to be impacted with higher volumes. Uh, payment solutions with the no touch that's going to be a drive higher volumes. So there are definitely impacts, but it's almost impacts in every uh, one of the services. And like I said. Even though temporary downside on business consulting, we see intermediate-term upticks there as clients have to reprioritize where they're going. And quite frankly, maybe even some reinventions of industries will go on and our clients will need to react to that. So um, I know that's a, that's a lot, but that's, uh, you know, it's, it's a very dynamic market right now. And I guess I'd end this way. Dynamic markets are very good for our services. Every change you need to make in your strategy and uh, how you approach things is good for a professional services firm with end-to-end services like CGI. Thanks so much for the color. Um, I'll pass it yep. on. Thank you. Next, next question comes from Jason Kupferberg with Bank of America. Hi, guys. This is Cassie on for Jason. First question I just wanted to clarify. Not sure if you mentioned it specifically, but what was the organic constant currency revenue growth rate that you guys recorded for F3Q? And when you kind of do your internal scenario analysis, do you see the potential for that to actually turn positive in 2020? That's my first question. Thanks. Yep. So, um, so thanks for the question, uh, Cassie. No, we don't. Uh, 
as we started this pandemic, we haven't been breaking out the difference. Uh, you know, I gave you the uh, the overall growth rate, and the reason for that is uh, as we integrate new businesses, uh, the run rate changes dramatically. As I just talked about, various services are impacted differently, geographies are impacted differently, industries are impacted differently, and so it's not a straight run rate uh, what you normally do around organic growth and inorganic growth. We talked about that on the uh, on the last call. Having said that. Uh, I mentioned the tailwinds that we see going in our favor. It doesn't happen all overnight, so I don't see, uh, I don't necessarily see that happening uh, immediately. But over time, yes, uh, we we see it gradually improving and returning to growth in uh, 2021. Got it. Thank you. And my second question is just overall, how how have you been seeing the pricing environment evolve? Like, have you sort of seen an increase in price concessions or payment delays, or has that actually been improving sequentially throughout the quarter? Thank you. Yep. No, it's a, it's a good question. We talked about that a bit on the uh, on the last call. And uh, as far as uh, payment delays, I think uh, you, you see the, uh, the results uh, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the payment um, or of our cash generation, and uh, there's, there's multiple factors in there, but certainly one of the big factors is, in fact, uh, increased and continued uh, collections with our with our clients. So uh, we're not uh, we didn't uh, we did get some requests, but we haven't uh, we haven't necessarily uh, done anything about that. And and that's in cooperation with our clients uh, because of the services that we're delivering and the importance for us to have the cash to continue to invest in uh, in providing those services. So uh, payment hasn't been an issue on pricing. Uh, there's always some uh, I would say behaviors that change in a in a crisis. It goes uh, it goes in different ways, but uh, we remain disciplined in uh, in profitable organic growth, and that's what we'll continue to do. And uh, I think we're showing that uh, we're able to do that and be very resilient, um, uh, even in the face of some declining revenues, like in Canada. Uh, actually, uh, the margin, uh, both in in percentage and dollars, increased uh, by uh, by good uh, management and uh, working in cooperation with our clients to bring them uh, increased value. So that's not been an issue for us. I don't know, Francois, if you want to add anything on the uh, on the uh, cash side. Well, you know, you, you saw that uh, you know we our DSO went down from 52 days to 48 days. So it's a it's a pretty good uh, results uh, in the quarter, uh, reflecting that you know uh, clients are are happy with our services and know the criticality of our services, and so it's a, a pretty good performance on that side. Got it. Thank you. Thanks, Cassie. Next question comes from Daniel Chan with TD Securities. Hi. Good morning. Uh, you mentioned yep. earlier that you're seeing uh, strong demand in uh, managed services, um, but bookings were 55% uh, were coming from consulting. I know you mentioned that government was a, a large driver of uh, that, that change in mix. Um, is there anything else there to, to drive a higher mix of, of uh, consulting bookings this quarter, and do you expect that to reverse in the future? Yeah, um, uh, thanks for the uh, thanks for the question, Dan. Uh, the uh, yeah, the, the big wins in the uh, in the quarter, the, the driving that uh, SINC growth were both government, but also health and some retail. And again, not surprising those that had to act very quickly in the face. Of the pandemic, and the good news is we're we're playing into that demand. We're winning a, a number of those systems integration and consulting deals. And as I've always said, we'll we'll play to the demand, uh, even as we uh, we also uh, make sure that we're for the future. So uh, those lo- those larger deals 
um, uh, are in the uh, are in the pipeline or in the works. They do take longer because they're more complex to uh, to close. So uh, it's it's uh, I think it's a win-win. It's uh, the, the consulting we think will continue to be strong in those industries I mentioned as uh, managed services starts to take up in those other areas. And of course, the managed services drives a much higher uh, book to bill uh, when when they come in. Makes sense. Thanks. Um, and then can you just remind us um, what a change in the U.S. government, how that would uh, affect your business? Is it generally positive for you? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I, I always start this way. Um, one, um, we're, we're apolitical when it comes to uh, what administration does or doesn't win the election. But we do do scenario planning on the, uh, on the election. And, uh, and quite frankly, um, when a new administration comes in, change is always good for us. But but let me maybe talk about it this way. Um, there's kind of three, uh, three buckets. One is we typically see on a run-up to an election increased activity as we get closer to the election, and, uh, and I don't think this, uh, this election will be any different despite the pandemic. That's what, uh, that's what our, our, our bookings and our pipeline submissions look like, and you saw we had strong bookings in the uh, U.S. federal uh, this quarter. Uh, but we see that increased activity going probably through or into September. And then, uh, then you get a very pronounced slowdown in decision-making uh, right before the election and then during a transition. And let me be clear, there will be a transition regardless of which party wins. Uh, typically what happens is uh, in a second term, essentially there's a, there's a turnover of staff, there is a transition maybe not as pronounced as, uh, as if it's a party change, but there will be a, a transition. So uh, the, the slower decision-making, that's, uh, that's why you see some of the, the uptick. So bookings will take a hit, but not growth, because growth will have been, uh, been uh, dealt with in the earlier bookings. And then increased activity is expected um, after the transition. And um, what we see in almost every scenario is, uh, is an increase in domestic programs. Now, though they may differ um, in which domestic programs would uh, would increase, but uh, we do see uh, we do see an increase, and that would be um, uh, that would be good for us because uh, the bulk of our work is uh, in federal. Uh, over 60% of our work is in the civilian space, so we're well positioned there. Um, but again, I'd, I'd end the way I started: uh, that change is good uh, for IT. The one scenario, and we're, we're planning for everything. The one scenario that would uh, that would hurt us, depending on um, who wins the uh, the Senate versus who wins the uh, the presidency, could put some gridlock into the system, and that just slows everything down. In that case, incumbency rules. And uh, as you know, we're on a number of, uh, of blanket purchase agreements. That's what you buy under when you're in a continuing resolution and, and more gridlock. We're prepared for that. We've grown our business uh, through those periods, so uh, that's not a concern, but certainly a scenario we plan for. Uh, it's not the most likely scenario, but it's one we plan for. That's great. Thank you very much. Thanks, mm -hmm. Sam. Next question comes from Paul Schreiber with RBC Capital Markets. Oh, thanks very much, and good morning. In light of the... Uh, good morning. In light of the travel restrictions and social distancing over this past quarter, could you provide some indication of how your proximity model performed in the environment? Uh, and then also, do you think that the, your proximity model allowed you to gain wallet share with customers this past quarter? 
Yeah, I think the proximity model certainly uh, played into that. Like I said, uh, uh, intimacy uh, is driven by being in proximate uh, nature. We can react faster uh, as uh, as pockets uh, reopen faster or or reclose, as the case may be. Uh, we're there lockstep. Uh, when a restaurant opens, we're there to have the, uh, the the meal, the first meal. In fact, I've had a number of stories around the globe where uh, where our consultants had the first uh, meal with uh, somebody in a restaurant uh, that the client has had, and that's uh, that certainly um, uh, creates more of that uh, that intimacy and that relationship. So I think that that definitely played into it because you have to be having the conversations in order to understand what the priorities are in order to play into those. So. Uh, very pleased with the 96% uh, renewal rate, and and I want to highlight, and and it's not uh, always crystal clear, uh, you know that renewal rate is not just renewals of large uh, engagements. It's uh, it's renewals in a number of uh, engagements with our clients, everything from systems integration, consulting, IP, and managed services, and 60% of that was for net new business. So um, you know those that 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 word add-ons in uh, in the renewals. Uh, there's, that drives new business, and uh, and that will will drive uh, future growth as well. So uh, we're we're committed to the proximity model. It's played, uh, it, it's worked very well. But of course, always complemented with our global delivery centers of excellence, because that intimacy drives the trust. It allows you to get the bigger deals, and the bigger deals, the managed services deals, then leverages our entire global delivery network. So the two play hand in hand. And then in regards to the disruption from COVID and then generally speaking, the, the, the global uplift in new digital initiatives, you know, e-commerce, e- yeah. work from home, et cetera, now, how would you rate CGI's competitive advantages or capabilities in digital compared to peers? And do you expect the uptick of digital to be a catalyst for CGI to gain market share? Yeah, I think it's a it's a definite uh, catalyst. I would rank I would rank our uh, our consultants and experts uh, very high in this. We've uh, invested in this in uh, in both our own learning and training, our hiring, but also in the metro market mergers that we brought on board uh, some outstanding talent in all of the digital uh, technologies. So I'd rate us very high. And in fact, within the clients that we have, we do very well. But as I mentioned. Back when we talked about uh, the the overall book to bill, uh, there's a blitz on bringing that value proposition to more clients that don't know us, and uh, that's where uh, that's where the opportunity lies. Uh, but it's not a market share uh, opportunity within the uh, the existing clients. In fact, it's the reversal. We're uh, we're doing very well there. We love vendor consolidation because typically we're the we're the winner in a vendor consolidation scenario. Okay. Thanks for taking my question. Thanks, Next question comes from Deepak Kushal with Deepo. Oh, hi. Good morning, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. I, I've just got a couple of follow-ups, and I'll, I'll try and be quick, uh, given we're yep. close to 10. Um, you know, um, George, you, you gave some good color on, on, on North America, um, return to kind of normalcy, U.S. government sensitivity. I was wondering if you could, could give us kind of some more insight into what you're seeing just over the last month, given given some of the disruptions we've seen in certain states, um, whether it's it's uh, second wave related or protest related, does this have any impact on your business or, or are customers, you know, kind of reacting differently to the situation today than they were perhaps a couple months ago or a year ago? 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's an interesting question. As you know, the United States is a is a big uh, geography, and uh, and there has been disruption both from the uh, public health crisis as well as uh, the racial justice uh, movement. Uh, but most of the the companies that we're working for, uh, even though we're we're proximate and local with the local decision makers, they're they're global companies, and uh, and they're making decisions across the globe, and so. It's not uh, it's not impacted just by any one um, any one uh, city or area, and as you know, the Northeast is doing very well on the uh, on the uh, public health uh, uh, crisis, and that's where we uh, tend to have a little more concentration. So um, we haven't really seen that disruption. Of course, we're running all the scenarios and we're preparing for all the different uh, situations, but uh, right now. Uh, in the immediate term, we haven't seen much uh, much difference in the decision. Okay, thank you. That's that's interesting. Um, and and then just you know, I guess I can try and dovetail this or or segue into an M and A question. You talked about um, geographic expansion and metro market expansion in the U.S., mm-hmm. for example. Um, what about industry expansion? You mentioned public health. You know, when we think of things like ESG or supply chain, mm-hmm. which you mentioned earlier. Or, or even even defense, uh, as you mentioned, doing well in APAC. Are you looking at any specific uh, vertical industries, or or do you see opportunities uh, for boutiques to focus on certain industries to help build out your yeah. business on the M&A side? Yeah, what uh, definitely we we do, and in fact uh, the the two go kind of hand in hand. Um, if you look at most uh, most uh, countries and geographies around the world, industries tend to concentrate. In certain areas, so you might have light manufacturing in the U.S. and the in the Southeast. Uh, you might have uh, the, the pocket of insurance is in this uh, golden triangle in the Northeast, and and so forth. And in fact, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, healthcare. Uh, that's an area that we uh, we increased our life sciences right in that that pocket of where um, where a lot of the pharmaceuticals are in the U.S. With our acquisition uh, merger a few years ago with uh, with Paragon, so uh, and that then became the catalyst for a broader um, life sciences uh, initiative across the, the U.S. and and in other pockets of the world. So um, so definitely the the two go hand in hand. So we're always looking to build uh, build that uh, that industry expertise because uh, that becomes a critical uh, point of the uh, of the value proposition. Got it. And then my last one, just um, are you able to give us a sense, you know, through the pandemic, um, to what extent are you seeing customers pull forward some spending and, and, and get a pause? Are you seeing this in certain industries or is it meaningful at all or, or, or are we not expecting to see a pause from pull forwards? Yeah, uh, the, 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 as far as the, the pull forward, I don't, we, we haven't really seen that. Yes, there was some spending in the initial aftermath, like I said, temporarily on some of the infrastructure. Some of that was probably overdue. And uh, it was just a, a cost of doing business, but uh, I don't see any like pull forward, and then there's going to be a big delay. In fact, like I said, I think it's the exact opposite. I think there was an immediate kind of uh, delay of, uh, of activities as each of these uh, these various uh, enterprises um, decided on what their priorities are going to be. That's that reprioritization I talked about. Uh, now we see it actually returning to more normal. As we uh, as we move through the uh, the quarters to come. Okay, great. Thank you for taking my question. Yep. Uh, just just yep. close before nine <laughs> ten. Thanks, Deepak. Sharon, we'll have time for one last question. We have a question from Stephanie Price with CIBC. Good morning. Hi, Thanks for taking my call. 
Um, I just wanted to ask a question around the transactional side of the business, and you kind of highlighted that as one of the weaker areas this quarter. Just wondering how we should kind of think of the recovery here and what you've seen in, in fiscal Q4. Yeah, well, I, I do think it's uh, I do think it's temporary, but I did highlight it because it did have a it did have an impact. Uh, like I said, you know, when nobody's traveling, um, your visa volumes are going to drop. Uh, significantly. Uh, on the payroll side, uh, we use that example. Um, we do some of that payroll, you know, in Canada for small and medium-sized enterprises as they uh, take advantage of, uh, of government programs in, in Canada and put people on a, on a layoff status. There's not a need for the payroll, so we took a hit there. Um, actually, that was actually more of a pause between the time that they actually instituted the program because that, that actually brought some of the payrolls back. I believe most of that, like the rest of the recovery, will be fairly temporary. Those volumes will uh, will return, um, and and again, we we see that even in some of the uh, the trade related business where the volumes are uh, where people are looking at more um, uh, digital enablement of trade will drive some some actually more volumes. So uh, I think uh, it's it's temporary. Uh, will return uh, to normal. It could return actually. You get a little bump. Um, at least in the immediate aftermath, um, that would make up for some of it. But that's that's what I see right now. It's still a great business to be in. It's just that uh, it does get impacted uh, by by situations like this. Great, thank you very much. And just maybe one more, just on the government pipelines more broadly, you had mentioned that's uh, a driver as well. I'm just wondering what you're seeing in terms of the booking environments and and how you think that's going to change as kind of these governments roll out stimulus. Yeah, well, I think it's a it's a big uh, it's a big opportunity because as they roll out the economic side of the stimulus, first it was just really to to make sure that uh, people could uh, survive. But as they as they uh, move into the economic stimulus to move more towards a growth environment, uh, every one of those programs requires uh, opportunities for uh, for CGI and uh, with the various governments um, to help them and help the industries that are receiving that. And, and just one example of that is in, in our intellectual property. In the U.S. government, uh, we have a, uh, a disaster aid transparency solution that we pivoted towards the, uh, the pandemic. This facilitates faster transfers between central and local governments with transparency that's needed. But then on the other side, we receive that with the state, uh, with our ERP module of advantage uh, in, in grants management to make sure the financial management and accounting are taken care of. And those are just examples of the back office systems that are required every time you do one of those programs. So it, uh, it will be a driver for future growth for CGI. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. We'll see you in early uh, November for Q4 and fiscal 2020 results. Thank you all. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Okay. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.